All right. Uh, good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining. My name is Jay Judkowitz. I'm VP of Product at Automotors. Um, Automotors is a division of ClearPath Robotics, and uh, we've been around for over 10 years uh, in doing AMRs, um, starting off in research, now moving into industrial automation a few years ago. Um, in this time, we've uh, learned a lot about what makes uh, deployment succeed and fail from our experiences with our customers. And the goal of this presentation is to share uh, those experiences with you so that you have uh, you know, a successful deployment first time through. So just a quick show of hands. How many people here have AMRs right now? How many are thinking about it? All right. Should I assume the rest of you are from my competitors? No? All right. Just curious, I guess. All right. Uh, should we get started? So the first thing to address is why AMRs in the first place. Um, a lot of people, you know, if you read kind of the, the news or whatnot, they might be thinking, the robots are coming to take all our jobs. That's really not quite the case, at least not anytime in the near future. The truth of the matter is manufacturers keep telling us just what these in industry reports are telling us, they're having trouble filling the jobs that they need to fill in the first place. And the, the labor shortage is pretty acute, particularly in some of the locations that these facilities are in. So what happens with the people you can hire? Well, you put them in materials handling because materials handling is the lifeblood of the facility. If materials aren't moving from point A to point B, you're not producing, right? But wouldn't it be great if you could automate that part of the job, take the people you do have, and put them into more fulfilling, safer in, uh, roles where they can provide more value, get higher compensation. It's a win-win for everybody. It's a win for people because of the safety and the fulfillment. It's a win for the company because of reduced costs, and a win for the communities that they're in. So everything I just said before was true yesterday. But what about today? How are things getting even harder? Well, um, some of you probably have, uh, like me, have teenage kids. And the whole consumerization of technology has really created an increased set of expectation on vendors. Uh, these kids today, they expect things to be personalized. They expect it to be low cost. And they expect the personalized low cost thing to be shipped today for free and to be able to be returned easily. Well, it's going to be really hard to do that if it's not locally produced or at least locally distributed, right? Locally customized and distributed. Um, and of course, anybody who's looking at the news sees that there's, beyond this, geopolitical reasons why people are trying to move more things back on shore. And so how do I actually uh, create a low-cost way of building things locally while also um, being able to create the flexibility and the dynamicism needed to meet a modern consumer? Again. Go after the lowest, uh, go after come one of the bigger, lower hanging fruit costs, uh, which is materials handling. The last thing to say on this is this changing economy and changing consumer expectation is actually having a huge effect on the lifetime of companies and their ability to stay competitive over time. Think about this according to Credit Suisse, uh, in 1950, the average age of an SP 500 company was 60 years. That means if you were a really big company, you were 60 years old on average, and you had a pretty good long life ahead of you as a top dog. Today, that number has shrunk to 20 years. Lower, lower cost, more nimble startup competition comes in and starts changing the, the dynamics of a competitive market. 
And so to keep in touch, to keep on top of the changing needs, to keep on top of all the uh, customer demands, we need to be able to have a more flexible manufacturing environment, which again, is where AMRs come in. And so it shouldn't be a surprise that this is actually getting to be a very uh, popular topic for people, right? Uh, we're seeing a lot about it in the press, we're seeing a lot about it in the analysts, there's a lot of different companies doing it, and this is becoming a reality. The challenge is, even though it's a reality, and even though the technology works, and I'm a huge fan and trust it, it's uh, still new, right? Um, people don't, aren't used to this. It's not like conveyors or AGVs, where people have had this stuff around for decades. And there's a lot of people uh, still doing their first deployment, doing their first robot, their first pilot. And what makes a one-robot pilot or a three-robot pilot work doesn't work at 10 robots doesn't work at 100 robots, and certainly won't work at 1,000 robots. So how do we figure out how to deploy this stuff at scale? Well, let's learn from the folks that came before us. So what we found is when deploying at scale, there's really five things that people ought to be considering, but too often aren't considering. Uh, first is safety. Second is the overall capacity and availability of that capacity. Third is information security. Fourth is the internal connectivity of the manufacturing facility. Fifth is scale, design for scalability, and that's probably the most important one, right? So, what do, what do, what do we think about when we think about safety? Safety is really very important, right? When you've got a vehicle moving around, you know, four or 5,000 pounds of material uh, at up to two meters a second, you know, you really got to make sure that doesn't hit person or even another robot or another piece of equipment because the results can be pretty catastrophic. So how do we traditionally handle these kind of safety issues? Well, standards. Standards work really well, right? There's standards to the equipment. The manufacturers follow the standards. You follow the standards when you deploy it. Everything's generally safe. Maybe not that simple, but that's the general idea. The problem comes in emerging technology. It's like a tortoise and hare story. The emerging technology is like the hare, right? These new vendors, they're coming out, they're going fast, they're trying to find product market fit, they're trying to land grab customers, they're changing the features all the time to get the new customer. The standards can't keep up. Standards work really, really well. They take time to evolve. They, they evolve from experience and learning and from contribution of customers and vendors and industry groups. So over time, it's going to be the answer, right? Because the technology speed will plateau, the standard will catch up, and that will be the dominant way to look at things. But how do we work in this indeterminate state? How do we work while the technology is new? Well, there's existing standards that can help us. Now, we've looked at the existing standards, even if they're not perfect fit for this technology, and, and so what can we learn from them? So there's a class of standard that we call uh, type A. The type A standards talk about overall risk assessment and design principles. These are really important, and they can apply to anything from making a toaster oven to a nuclear power plant, right? How do you do common sense design principles? How do you evaluate risk? The second thing is a little more narrow. You have standards for uh, safety circuitry, standards for software design for closing safety loops. How do you make sure that you have very good fail-safe components that you put into pretty much any industrial piece of equipment. 
And then lastly, you have the specific machinery safety standards where even though there isn't a great AMR standard yet, we can learn from adjacent technology that's been around longer like AGVs. So, oh, and on the, on the left side, running through all of this is of course the certifications. What is it that specific countries ask for to be able to deploy a product in their area? So for example, like CE in Europe. So what we try to do is learn from the top stuff to compensate for the gaps in the bottom stuff. So you'll see there's AMR standard um, that is evolving, and you have these older standards that work pretty well but aren't a perfect fit. So let's look at an example of where this can go wrong. If you were to just follow the AGV standard on uh, how you hit a safety stop and what you should do in a safety stop, works really well if you're going straight. That standard does not actually apply if you're doing some kind of angular momentum. If you're in a turn and hit the safety stop, doesn't work so well. So what we've done at Auto is looked at the risk profile overall, tried to figure out all the different places where we've, things could go wrong or where early deployments have gone wrong, and then try to correct that in excess of what the current standards demand. So what's the recommendation on this first point? The first uh, recommendation is talk to your AMR provider about a comprehensive safety review. Ask them you know, what standards they follow, ask them how they, uh, how they follow those standards, and if they have any kind of report on, on, their, uh, on what they think the risks are. Um, look at specifically things that you th might think are part of the safety system but aren't. So for example, uh, 3D cameras and the autonomy and perception stack that seems like the kind of thing that would really help you not hit things, but often those are outside the safety loop. What happens if that software just dies? What happens? What kind of safety is left from just the pure circuitry? You have to ask these sorts of questions. And of course, involve your health and safety people. Involve them early because they've been thinking about this stuff for a very long time. They have tremendous expertise and they can help walk through specific scenarios for your facility that maybe we couldn't consider because we're building a generic product. That was the first, uh, don't, don't worry, they're not all labeled one, I'm not sure why. So, second, what is the second thing that we want to talk about? Is designing for capacity. And what we mean by capacity is, all right, do we have enough robots doing enough work at the time to meet the production goals? And the way people will often talk about this is, I want 99% uptime. Right? I want uh, no more than three or four days a year of outage, and I want to be able to uh, you know, keep running continuously. Um, you know, this can scale up or down, like I want you know, no more than uh, a day a month, um, less than a day a month of downtime. But this sort of doesn't work 100% when you have a fleet of things. Right? So let's say uh, I have a robot that's 99% available but I have 10 of them. Well, if one of them dies and needs a repair that takes one day, well, you're at 90% for that day. And then what if a robot dies the next day or the day after? Suddenly, that 99%, even though the robots are 99%, you're starting to lose that, right? 
So how do we think about this? How do we actually make sure that we're actually getting the work done that we need done the amount of time that our organization demands that we're doing it? And this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Anybody who knows Otto uh, knows that our founders, uh, Matt and Ryan and Brian, are lifelong robotics folks. And they're really, really good at this. But as the company's expanding and we're realizing that more and more of the technology comes from the software, comes from data and analytics, comes from monitoring, comes from machine learning. We've brought in people from different uh, and adjacent uh, industries. So I myself spent six and a half years at Google Cloud. Uh, anybody here use Google ever? Okay, that can't be true. Y'all are very sleepy. Um, I'm gonna assume it's everybody because, yeah, I'm just gonna assume it. Um, so. When, you, when, when people will go to, to go, oh, is my internet up? They'll often go to google.com because the assumption is, of course, Google can't be down. So if I can't reach it, it must be my internet. Right? And that's a pretty good assumption. But what's crazy about that from the inside of Google is that the software is very fluid. It changes all the time. It breaks everywhere. And there's a million people, well, 2,000 people running around with pagers fixing it. It's crazy. So how do you get this amazingly highly available system with really broken parts um, in many cases? Um, so what do you do? So the, the thing you don't do is put everything in serial, one after the other after the other. Because then your availability is certainly going to be no better than the worst part, but is also just going to be the product of those parts, right? And it's just going to keep going down and down and down no matter how, you know, the more parts you put in place. And so like in a conveyor system, right, if you have track conveyor tracks, if one of them dies, the whole conveyor's gone. Those happen to be very, very reliable pieces of software because to get that aggregate availability, you can't have any part die. But something as fluid and new as robotics is not going to behave the same as a conveyor system, right? So how do you manage that risk? Well, you do what we did at Google. You figure out the availability of each and every part. You build redundancy in those parts. You do things in isolated failure domains so that one failure doesn't affect another. And then you buy extra capacity to make sure that you can handle however many things are expected to be down at any given time at the right side of the bell curve. And so what you wind up with as a recommend, that's the laser, not the advancer. Uh, what you wind up with as a result of the recommendation is to plan for the capacity. If you need, say, 10 robots available 99% of the time, you should talk to your AMR vendor, find out what the availability is, do the math, which we're fortunately not going to go through uh, here, but yes, take pictures, um, go through the equations, figure out how much extra capacity do I need to have 10 robots up 99% of the time. And depending on the availability of the robots themselves, that might be 11, might be 12, I don't know, depends on your vendor, right? So, recommendation. Make sure you're talking to your vendors about what their individual robot availability is, and make sure you're actually planning for the capacity at the amount of time you need, not just single robot availability. Okay, another number one, I'm not sure why, sorry. I didn't make the slides. Um, the third thing is information security. So, uh, there we go. Historically, manufacturing facilities have been off the grid, right? Uh, they're air-gapped from the rest of the world. They're off in 
remote places. Uh, physical security is able to solve all of your uh, security needs. That's not really the case today. Um, even if you don't have software running on the internet, you still have the home office and different factories talking to one another, right? Uh, at some point, almost everything is on the internet, right? Very few things are truly, truly air-gapped. And this leads to some interesting possibilities and interesting questions and challenges. So um, a large robot fleet has a fleet manager, generally, right? Not every AMR vendor is the same, but most people have a centralized fleet manager. Do you run that fleet manager in the cloud, or do you run it on-premises? So you know my background, right? So I'm pretty comfortable running things in the cloud. Um, I think that that gives you higher availability. I think it gives you better security, because you have all the best minds in cloud uh, focusing on that security, so you don't have to build that out yourself. But not everybody's ready for that transition yet. And, and so what Auto does is we allow you to run the fleet manager on-premises or in the cloud. And in fact, most of our customers do run fleet manager on-premises. And so it's good to have that option if that's what your organization demands. But even if you are running the fleet manager on-premises, it's kind of important to be able to have that back channel to the, uh, to the AMR vendor. Why is that? Well, when you get technical support needs, you want the cloud vendor, uh, the AMR vendor to be able to see the data, to see the telemetry, to debug things. You want them to be able to do proactive monitoring and help figure out if something's going to go wrong before it goes wrong. Um, you want to be able to share anonymized data back up to the uh, AMR vendor so that they're able to optimize not just your deployment, but also maybe optimize their software for the next release to better serve your needs. So, all right, if we decide there's going to be some connection to the outside world, how do we manage that? You know, it's, it's kind of funny. We've, we've see, heard of stories of vendors asking manufacturers uh, to use a cellular network to completely bypass the entire uh, security stack and uh, bypass the entire IT. Probably not a good idea. Um, not really safe, and if you get caught, probably no points for that, right? So how can you handle this? Well, first, engage the IT department, right? Make sure that they're giving you a secure, well-managed uh, connection to the outside world that you have permission to use. Second, when you're working with the AMR, make sure you're using VPN technology. You want to have secure tunnels all the way back and forth. Third, you know, make sure the vendor, they probably all are, but make sure they're using technologies like SSL to make sure that the data is further encrypted so that if somebody were in your tunnel, they wouldn't be able to make sense of the traffic. Then you got to ask yourself, where is that AMR sending my data? Are they sending it to one of their own data centers or are they sending it to a cloud? Okay. If they're sending it to a cloud, are they using the cloud vendor's uh, encryption at rest technologies? If they're using encryption at rest technologies, are they managing their own keys, security keys, or are they relying on the cloud vendor security keys? You'd want them managing their own so that the cloud vendor can't get at your data, even at rest, even in their own data center. And lastly, and this is really critical, particularly from a compliance perspective, ask the cloud vendor what exactly, they're, uh, the AMR vendor, what exactly they're sending off-site. Uh, you don't want any personally identifying information, PII, going off your, your premises because that's considered, and often cases, uh, a, a compliance violation. So if you file all these best practices and your AMR vendor is, is doing the right things, you wind up with something that looks more like this, 
and you know, no skull and crossbones picture. So what are the recommendations? First, involve your IT department as quickly as possible. Two reasons for this. One, all the security reasons we just talked about. But two, IT departments in manufacturing environments aren't always the most flexible, right? It may take longer to get an IP address or it may take longer to open a hole in the firewall than you'd like. You don't want to do all this great work on the automation and then get stuck because you're, you're, you're on an IT bottleneck. So get them involved early. Again, like I said, talk to the AMR vendor. Don't just take this stuff for granted. Ask them all the questions I was just talking to you about. And I wouldn't always recommend this, but if you're in doubt and if it's a particularly secure need, you know, don't, don't be afraid to get a third-party audit to look through uh, the, the, the relevant security standards for your environment. Lastly, uh, not lastly, second to last, uh, designing for connectivity. So more and more and more, your factory is connected. The robots are talking to the other robots. The robots are talking to the equipment. The robots are talking to the fleet manager. The fleet manager is talking to the outside world. And that's not even counting your other smart equipment that you already have in the environment, right? This is additive to what you've already got. And AMRs are data machines, right? They can keep sending, I mean, they could send video from the cameras, they could send logs, they could send telemetry, they could send debugging information. And so you can wind up with a tremendous amount of data going over your Wi-Fi network. And a lot of times these Wi-Fi networks weren't designed for that, right? They're designed for you know, people walking around with cell phones, uh, you know, maybe using an HR app or a reporting app, right? They're not, there's not, not this fire hose of data. So it's possible that your AMR deployment at scale, unlike the pilot, can overload the, the, the network system. So we try to do a few things in auto to make this better. Uh, first, we try to send the data as efficiently as possible so we can get the most uh, benefit of the data with the least load on the network. Um, and second, we test the heck out of this stuff. We make sure that we can find out how many AMRs can we add before the network breaks? How many jobs can we add? How many different pieces of equipment can we connect to? And test this pretty, um, pretty uh, heavily uh, on, on our location through simulation before we go live. And so we can make sure that we're not um, doing something that we think is going to break your, break your network. So recommendations. First off, talk to the AMR vendors. Say, hey, if I've got this many robots doing this many jobs with this much equipment, how much bandwidth do I need, right? They may, you may need to expand the Wi-Fi network for a large enough deployment. Second, ask them for their detailed test reports. Find out if they're doing these tests. And these tests aren't just, hey, put the robots out there, simulate communication. They're more detailed, right? What happens if the network connectivity is spotty? Do the jobs still complete? What happens if, uh, this is kind of a funny problem, it's not funny when it happens in real life. Has anybody here ever had someone uh, mistakenly reply to all on an email and hit like a thousand people and like 900 people hit reply to all saying don't reply to all and everybody replies to the first person saying don't reply to all and then the whole thing comes down? Well guess what? Computers are just like people in that you have to make sure that they have intelligent things that back off and, and don't flood the network when something, not just when things go right, but when things go wrong. 
And so make sure your AMR vendor is testing these sorts of things. Oh, laser pointer again. All right, last one for real this time. And the fifth point, designing for scale. So this is, this is really the hard part, particularly when you get to 100 robots, right? Um, do all the robots do all the work I've asked? Do I have enough space for them to do the work, or do they get clogged up? Do I know where they're going to park? Do I know where they're going to charge? When they're going to and from parking and charging, do they interfere with the work? Uh, am I able to manage the traffic so that the robots are behaving the right way in the right places and protecting people as they need to be protected? Do, are, are my aisleways wide enough for one-way and two-way traffic? Right? This gets to be pretty complicated. And that's only when things are going well. Uh, what about when things go badly? Remember I talked about the law of large numbers? Right? Some of these robots are going to die some of the time. Maybe they'll die-die, or maybe they'll just not dock properly and get confused. Maybe they'll lose localization. Maybe they will um, get stuck in picking up uh, a piece of uh, material from another piece of equipment. How do you handle that? Does, is your material flow process sufficient to basically allow routing around the problems, kind of like we described with the serial versus parallel? Uh, availability question, or do things get backed up, right? That's actually like a really big deal. Um, additionally, not just do things work for a few minutes or an hour, you know, maybe there's small points of congestion that add up, and if you run it for hours and hours and hours, you know, hey, maybe by lunch, things are backed up, even though it looked good at nine in the morning. These are the things that you have to figure out. And, and again, it gets exponentially harder as, as you get more. Well, maybe we're polynomial than exponential, but you get the idea. So what do you do? Uh, you test it all, right? No. You, you can't do that. If you were to, well, one, I can't test it for you. I can't have a replica of your environment in Kitchener, Ontario, that I'm running 24-7, right? It's not going to work. Well, what about you testing it? Well, you probably can't shut down your operations, run the tests, See, it doesn't go well, reconfigure it, run the test more, right? You could be down for weeks, no points for that. So the only way to do this is through simulation, right? You absolutely positively have to simulate the environment over and over and over again to make sure that it works. So there's two types of simulation that we in auto offer. One is physical simulation. Do the robots with the attachments and the payloads that we talk about actually fit in your environment? Can they go through the map? Can they dock properly? Does everything physically work? That's the first step. The second step is what you're looking at here, is a discrete event simulation. Well, can we run the material flows and the jobs and the schedules over and over and over again and make sure that you know, we don't get bottlenecks? Like if you look at this, this is a uh, 80 robot simulation uh, actually for a real, a real customer of ours. And you can see this is flowing really nicely. Guarantee it didn't look like that the first time we ran it, right? It takes iteration, and that's a really important thing to be able to try and change things. And remember I talked before, and this isn't just a one-time thing for your deployment. Remember we talked before about the changing needs of manufacturing and being able to customize and change with the times and change with the consumer demand and beat out newer, more, uh, you know, very nimble competition? Well, if you're changing what you 
um, your processes, if you're adding robots to the mix, if you're changing your production lines, if you're expanding the facility, you have to keep doing this over and over. So it's actually really important, not just that your AMR vendor has these tools, but that you build the relationship with them so that you can work through these questions over the lifetime of your deployment. The next thing to think about is the analytics that is bolted onto the simulations, right? Um, you probably don't get very much from looking at those dots other than to see that they're not backed up. That's not like a good report that you kind of take back to your uh, CIO. That's what this stuff is. So the first one is a spaghetti map. It basically says, where are there a lot of robot traffic and where is there a little bit of robot traffic? That's pretty darn useful if you're trying to figure out where to add more robots, right? You don't want to keep adding flow over the same place that there's the same flow, I mean, that there's already flow. The second one is really interesting, uh, speed heat maps. So the ro what do robots do when they're in a congested area? Do they just ram through? No, they do the same thing you do on the road. Like, do you, even though it's technically possible on a straight road, do you drive the same speed on a two-lane road with a dotted line down the middle that you would drive on a highway? You know, because the risk of crossing over that line and hitting that car is too great. So you slow down. Well, the robots do the same thing. They don't want to hit each other, so they slow down when uh, they're in that uh, congestion situation, and then you can see this over time. You can see, here's where things are, are stuck, here's where they slow down for safety, and these are the bottleneck points that I need to improve if I want to have uh, more productivity. And this is actually pretty interesting. It's not just about making it more productive for a given amount of robots. It's about getting the productivity you need with the smallest amount of robots, right? Believe it or not, I would rather sell you less robots to get the same work done because you're gonna get a better return on investment and you're gonna be a repeat customer and come back to me and trust me. So these kind of simulations, they don't just help they don't just help you do the job, but they help you do it as cheaply as possible. So what is the advice here? Talk to your ven uh, AMR vendors about the simulations. Make sure that they have the ability to go through all the stuff that we just talked about before you ever have a robot hit your floor. And then ask them what kind of services and uh, analytics that they build on top of it, and make sure you can build a long-term relationship with them. Make sure that you trust them to keep going back and asking these questions. So that's more or less the presentation. Again, five things we're hoping that you consider when you look at an AMR deployment. Safety, you know, in a world of incomplete standards, can you deploy these robots to where they're not gonna hurt each other or someone else? Capacity, will you be able to do the amount of work your organization demands, the percent of time that your organization demands it? Information security, can you do all of this without getting owned? Connectivity, is your internal network able to handle the influx of data creators that are AMRs, and scalability. Is this all designed to be as productive as needed with the ROI that you deserve? So again, I'm Jay Judkowitz, VP of Product for Automotors. Please do visit our booth and meet the team. Uh, we have a lot of robots up close that you can touch and look at. Um, we have a lot of customer success stories and videos about all, uh, all the stuff I talked about and more. Um, the virtual reality tour, which is pretty awesome. Uh, so we really encourage you to come and visit us. Um, so that's all, that's all the slides I have. Uh, we do have a little more time. I can't tell how much because the thing is glitching down there. 
so I will uh, just take questions, if you have any. Or you can leave if you want. Bye. Thank you for coming. <laughs> yes. So the question was, if I want to uh, bring a bunch of robots into a warehouse, what's the first step? Uh, so first step, call us. Uh, but what, what's going to happen when you, when you do that call is that basically, you know, we'll, we'll talk to you about your needs. What kind of materials do you have to move? Uh, where do you have to move them? How far do you have to move them? What's the cost of the labor you're hoping to redeploy? Uh, what, is the, um, what are the different equipment that it has to get off, on and off and on? Uh, on and off of, uh, how heavy is the equipment, uh, the, the load, so we can figure out what robots to bring. Uh, we'll ask you uh, for maybe a CAD map of your facility so that we can find out if there's anything that's uh, a non-starter. Like imagine you have a, a very, very narrow hallway that's a choke point uh, across two parts of the, the plant that our robot can't get through. Well, we'd rather qualify that out early than, than find out after we've shipped you uh, you know, expensive robot. So what'll happen, so we'll go through all that qualification stuff, and then you'd probably do a proof of concept. Um, and you might want to work with an integrator. Uh, you know, we've talked about design considerations here and what you're doing individually, but m almost all of our customers don't do this alone. They do this with, you know, we have an integrator network of over 200 partners and who do nothing more than, you know, augment factories and, faci and uh, facilities for a living. So... Um, between us, you, and maybe a partner, you know, we, we'd uh, then deploy the pilot, see how it goes, and then we start getting into these design for scale questions that we've been talking about. And, and pilots don't take long. Um, if you get the IT stuff right, um, I was personally, um, the very first one I was involved in, actually this is kind of funny, we sent out our CEO, CTO, engineering director, and me, and I was in my third week and uh, we went to Ohio and did a deployment. Um, so not the, uh, the, the real gearheads who really you know, work with the stuff day in, day out. A bunch of executives who could have totally botched this. We got the thing up and running in four hours, right? Uh, so you really can do a pilot pretty quickly. Uh, so the question here uh, was, from a mechanical standpoint, what are the failure modes? Um, I have to admit, uh, I've been here three months, and like I said, I come more from the software world than the hardware world. Mechanical questions are not my forte, but uh, the, the, there are different, uh, there's a lot of moving parts, right? Everything from the wheels to, um, you know, to lifts on the attachment, stuff like that. Yeah, uh, there's electrical questions, battery questions. These are all things that um, you know could potentially break or wear and tear over time. Um, you have to look at integrations with third-party uh, pieces of equipment, and are those integrations done correctly um, from an electrical and a mechanical uh, standpoint? Um, and again, it all gets more complicated with scale. Uh, do the robots interfere with each other in some way or another? Right. Um, you have to look at the sensors or something that can uh, break or not break. So that's uh, a smattering of, of the different potential failure modes. Um, 
But again, the whole point of going to an AMR vendor instead of building it yourself is that we you know, work really hard to source all the best materials, to test it heavily in our environment. Um, you know, we do accelerated testing, right? You know, we'll shake and vibrate the thing and make sure that we're getting simulating having more traffic as opposed to the real-time traffic um, so that uh, you're able to get a better, a better sense of where those failure modes are and what the lifetime of each piece of equipment is. Uh, there's warranty on the hardware, one-year warranty when you buy it, uh, extended warranty if you'd like. So whatever the failure modes are, and I may have missed some, like I said, relatively new to mechanical stuff, um, you're, you're covered as best as possible against those failure modes. Uh, sorry, what are the limitations on what? Uh, okay, so the question was, what are the limitations on the hardware and software and sensors, um, and, and what, what, do we, what do we see coming in the next few years? Um, I think um, there's more form factors that need to happen. I think that um, these form factors need to develop uh, more uh, specific skill sets. Um, you know, if we talk afterwards, I can go into a little more detail on that. Um, the sensing technology... We have 2D LiDAR works really well, and that's basically the, the foundation of the safety. Um, and we have 3D cameras, and those 3D cameras work really well at seeing above and below the plane of safety. But those are, um, what you really want ultimately is like 3D LiDAR that is you know, safety rated so that you can really have a truly safe system that can handle overhangs and underhangs and foots and all feet, not foots, uh, and all that. Um, and that technology actually exists. Like if you look at, uh, you know, um, self-driving cars, you'll see that. But it's pretty expensive, right? It's not. It's not cheap enough that you would go put that on a thirty thousand dollar robot. So uh, that's some of the technology that has to uh, advance before we really uh, get this. Uh, get this, uh, you know, just truly perfect. I mean, there's other improvements you could imagine in mapping and localization. I mean, I could, I'm a product manager. I mean, I'm paid to think about all the things in the future. I could go on kind of all day. But um, those are some of the things that, that you'll see advancing from us and others in the industry. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'll hang around, and I'll be at the booth. Um, I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate the questions and the interaction. And uh, have a great rest.